0: The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 18, beginning at verse 21, and it's on page 985 of the Pew Bibles. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Thanks be to God.
1: For those who are visiting, we are pursuing a series in uh, Matthew's Gospel as it unfolds um, from halfway through towards the end, just select, selecting a verse and, uh, which is a question that is posed not by the Lord Jesus but to him, a question that is put to him, often, as is the case this morning, by his bewildered uh, disciples. And uh, so, in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 21, Peter poses this uh, question. He came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he makes a suggestion. It's a question, and he thinks He knows the answer, and he says, up to seven times, and out of that, Jesus makes a very stark, actually, a a very astonishing um, uh, response, and gives what is a scandalizing parable, a parable that possibly is the most extreme that Jesus gave, of contrasting... uh, uh, ingratitude on a a massive scale and makes a very abrasive conclusion Uh, you couldn't couldn't miss the point that Jesus gives, often parables are open ended uh, and inconclusive, here he says the conclusion, verse 35 this is how my heavenly father will, will treat you when he's talking to his disciples unless you forgive your brother from your heart That's a very disturbing, very challenging parable. Vengeance is popular today, especially on the media. Forgiveness is not. Retaliation is often portrayed as a virtue. It reflects healthy self-esteem. Dirty Harry takes aim and says, and we love this, don't we? Go on, make my day. We live in a society drunk on the grapes of human wrath and vengeance, bomb rage, road rage, domestic rage, and a variety of others. No wonder so many people are racked with guilt and depression and other destructive emotions. To live with unforgiveness yourself and to live with an unforgiven person, a colleague or at home or at work, is indeed very disturbing. And no less so, I think, for the disciples then, because what we have in this parable is this, whatever else, you have this. Here is God and he is the consummate forgiver. Peter comes to Jesus and poses this question. And we should be grateful that he does. And you need to make your your inner uh, pilgrimage into your own heart, those deeper recesses as we think of this question. So, it's not a question that's put for curiosity, for intellectual pursuit... Or to be speculative. Or to just have a discussion. It's not that type of question. It's posed from the perspective of hurt. Bewilderment. So in verse 21. Peter. Poses this question. How many times shall I forgive? He's reached if you like a uh, potential impasse, it might seem. So, there's the question. That's the... We've set out the sort of the emotional atmosphere of the term forgiveness. Just to say the three things, uh, we'll use the three same words as we did with the last sermon, uh, because we're dealing with a text, and as you will know from any uh, preacher will know, a, a, a text without a context is a con. You can do anything with a text if you want to. So, we, we have to have a context... Where does it come from? Then we need the question itself, and then what conclusions are we going to take away? So that's where we're going. The first, then, the context. You see in verse uh, 15 to 17, um, it's a brother who sins against you. And you see Jesus is saying this. If your brother sins against you, go and show your fault to him, and so on and so forth. That's the context of teaching. Okay? Verses 15 to 17. And what Jesus is doing here, he gives... This clear instruction, knowing that relationships are often going to be fractured and they're going to fragment under the strain supremely of people who are unforgiving. This is the teaching. And it's teaching about, if you like, a fellow believer, a fellow disciple, who sins against you. It does happen. Let's have church without pretending. What do you do? How do you cope? How do you relate? Sit the other side. Don't communicate. Well, look, Jesus gives three things that we should do. The first, he says, look in verse 15. Keep it private. Keep it private. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Go and have a cup of coffee. Go and talk. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over or your sister. It is so easy, and some are more sensitive than others to what people say to them or about them. And perhaps we, we listen through our emotional uh, grid, and we pick up signals that people are not sending. That can be a problem sometimes, and we need to face that. It could be inadvertent, unintentional, but we dwell on it. We ruminate, it, and it begins to fester and grow. That's part of being human. It wasn't intentional. But what if it was? Or at least if you think it was and believe it is? What is important at that point? Right? What is important? Is it so important that you win the argument, you say, Oh, but it's the principle or what is really important that the relationship is restored? Is it your hurt or is it the restoration of a relationship? And nobody knows. Nobody knows. You are the great unsung hero in heaven. Nobody knows. It's the triumph of grace. Okay, but it doesn't always work like that. That's the first thing. Keep it right. Second thing, don't be proud. Ask for help. Look at verse 16. Ask for help. But if he, she will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Ask for help. Uh, Who are you going to ask for? People who are going to take your side? Ask for objective help. For believers who are going to be genuinely impartial. If you know of people like that, you are blessed. Or maybe you are one such person. That people could actually go to you and know that it's not going to go any further. And you take out of circulation things that is impacting relationships. Take someone who's dependable, Jesus says, someone who's discreet, and someone who's prayerful. And then the third thing, it, in, it will, if you if you reach an impasse there, that's the, that's the first, private, the second, ask the third. Some people can be very stubborn and, and so on. Uh, involve the church. Involve the. the the wider believers verse 17 if he refuses to listen to him tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church well there's only one conclusion you come to the person is not forgiven for surely the, the acid test that I am forgiven is that I issue forgiveness my feelings of hurt will still be there but the forgiveness has been issued what is the church? Is it a finishing school for saints or is it a fellowship of flawed, sinful believers? Well, it's the latter, of course. And sometimes our sinful nature, we regress. We go back into our old habits, old way of thinking and living and reacting. That's the context of this. And you can see even that is not easy and and, and it's quite possible for people to get stuck. So... What Jesus is really saying here is this. Look, forgiveness actually reflects the character of God. Unforgiveness, the opposite, distorts his character. Involve the church. It's not a finishing school for saints, but a fellowship of forgiven sinners. That's what it is. Here's an interesting thing, and I, we deliberately had, had the Lord's Prayer uh, this morning. Just turn back to Matthew uh, chapter 6 to, to um, Jesus issuing this prayer, and you, you know this phrase that, that comes uh, in verse 12: "Forgive us our debtors, as we forgive our de- uh, Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our sin, as we forgive those who sin against us, and so on." It's interesting that this is the only, if you like, comment that Jesus makes on the prayer itself. He could have mentioned lots of things. Why is that, do you think? Well, I would suggest to you that forgiveness is a big deal. It's a big thing. So, he's taught the Lord's Prayer, and then in verse 14 of Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, we're not saying that our forgiveness... Of people is a a condition of God forgiving us. No, what we're saying is this: that our forgiveness of people demonstrates that we are forgiven, and the lack of it may be a mighty demonstration that we are not. Do you see that? This is his comment on it. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will your your father will not forgive you your sins. The one is a demonstration of the other. Now, I know feelings are not forgiveness. We need to make clear. And there are lots of other things that we may need to clarify. Nevertheless, it stands as it is. That's the context. Lots of issues have been raised. And um, out of that comes a question. So there we have it. And you can see now where the question is a very powerful one in the light of what Jesus said. Jesus, if we're going to take you seriously on this one... Well then, here's a question I want to ask. You don't mean to say that we're going to go round writing blank checks to every Tom, Dick and Harry. That, that's the way Tom, uh, Peter is thinking like this. And so he's, he comes to, to Jesus and says, in this context, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, here is Peter reflecting, as Jesus would know, the strong rabbinic teaching, three strikes and you're out. That is classic rabbinic teaching of our Lord's Day. If you do it once, make a note of that twice, be kept third time, have nothing to do with them. So in a way, Peter is quite magnanimous here, isn't he? He thinks, ooh, that's quite a sermon. Okay. Okay. I've got the message three times. I'll go six, and for good luck, you would probably say that. I'll go seven. Perfect number. I'll impress Jesus. Well, you know the rest. That's the parable. You see, the, 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 the context sharpens the question. That, you see, there's one qualification here. That forgiveness is not between now me and God. Okay? Forgiveness is between me and you. The Forgiveness has calmed down. Forgiveness now is going out. And that distinction is very important. I don't forgive because I'm a really nice person. I don't do that. I forgive because I'm aware that I'm a sinner and I don't need God's grace and who am I ever to withhold from anybody? So it's forgiveness between me and you now. I want to suggest to you that Peter's question exposes two mistakes that are a feature of us as well, but particular of him. Two mistakes in his thinking And in in his attitude. The first is this. That Peter is lacking in humility. Look at verse 21. There's a presupposition here. He assumes something. Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother. When he sins against me. What's he assuming. Here it is. It's the classic thing isn't it. He assumes his brother would sin against him. But not he against his brother. No way. I'm not like that. Really. See the point. It's a flaw in human nature. And it is a lack of realism. And a lack of humility. Forgiveness is a big problem. Yep, it's not a big problem for me. And we could, if we, we could live in denial. And, and, and we need to be careful about that. So, that's the first thing. It's just manifestly lacking in realism and humility. But the second one, he's just lacking in love. See, look again. How many times, uh, if if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times? Well, look, people keep records. I'm not like that. I'll go twice and an extra one. How, How good is that? Not good enough, says Jesus. Not good enough. Why? Does love set limits? The rabbinic teaching doesn't go far enough. Peter's generosity, his magnanimity doesn't go far enough. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment. Unforgiveness keeps it closed. Closed up to relationships that should flourish and often flounder. The commentator says this, I just read it to you. Unforgiveness is a toxin. Poisons the heart and mind with bitterness, distorting our whole perspective. Such bitterness can spread even from person to person, ultimately defiling many, as the book of Hebrews says. What's the, on- the only antidote is forgiveness. I am bound over. It is the divine imperative. I must forgive. In essence, then, forgiveness is Christianity at its highest level. When you are forgiving, you are more godlike. For God is the consummate forgiver. And when you are refusing, you are ungodly. Now, I know that's a powerful challenge. Peter is lacking in love, he's setting these limits. But you might ask, let me put it to you like this, does forgiveness have a limit? Now, I think common sense, for a moment, would suggest that repeated offenders should not be granted a pardon indefinitely. What would that make us? Gullible? Weak? Naive? So, Jesus comes along and he says, all right, not seven times, but... 70 times 7. Now, no one can possibly keep account of such a high number of offenses. Could you imagine going through life and saying, Yes, she's done that, now that's 30, and that's that's 120? That is perverse, isn't it? That that is absurd. There's there's something not right there. Do you see the point? Love keeps no record of wrong. The person who keeps track of wrongs, thinking that he can stop forgiveness when it reaches 490, has missed the point. You've missed the point. What Jesus did was to take Peter's generous number and multiply it by 70 and says once you start that, the amount doesn't matter. The amount doesn't matter. So what are the conclusions? What conclusions can we possibly uh, take from a sermon like this if we haven't al- already uh, had some? Uh, after I finished preparing this sermon, I was uh, reading uh, a book review of an author by the name of Greta Randall. And uh, she, she writes this book, and all the proceeds go to a trust, which her husband and herself are involved with uh, in India. And the, the book is called Forgiving the Impossible, with a subtitle, From Abuse to Freedom and Hope. And she poses the question in the book like this. Are some things from her experience are some things just too difficult to forgive? And here it is. As a child Greta was subjected to a horrific nightmare. Abuse at the hand of her church pastor. Trapped She saw no way out. But her dramatic story of revulsion, anger, depression, contains an unexpected twist that that demonstrates forgiveness is not only possible, but that it is hugely liberating for the victim. For the victim. And uh, there's this... uh, comment that's highlighted she says this I quote my healing would not w- sorry my healing would only have been would have been pa- partial I'll say it again my healing would only have been partial apart from God's intervention she says self-help counseling reading have played an important part but nothing can take the place that God occupied within the whole process, he spoke to me through the Bible, she says, used his people to pray with me and for me, and he was constant. That's not rocket science, is it? From there, and you think of all that the Catholic Church has gone through with child abuse and all of that, how do you move on from that? Within an evangelical church, Of a well-respected pastor. Creates enormous problems, doesn't it? And emotions and and all those things. Self-help was good. Counseling, talking, externalizing my feelings. Very important. But ultimately, God spoke to me in the Bible, used people to pray with me, and he was constant. And that is the blessing that we have as people who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ so the conclusions the whole parable really verses 23 to 35 I think in essence what it's saying is this that forgiveness must be the lifestyle of a Christian it is, it is my lifestyle it's how I live it's how I relate it's how I react it's how I respond it's how I move on in other words put it like this I constantly receive forgiveness because I know I'm a sinner. I constantly receive that. That's the first thing. The second thing is, so, I constantly give forgiveness. Do you, I want you to think about this in the light of this scandalized parable. And it is really quite shocking. That Jesus gives. That a relationship with God. Is impossible. If we are unable to receive his forgiveness. And. Our relationship with others. Largely is. Impaired. If we are unable to release them. In forgiveness. They don't deserve it. Nor do you. None of us do. Forgiveness is a state of being forgiven. And this is the point of the parable. This unmerciful servant is a scandal. Something would recoil within us. It is utterly offensive. Here he is. We don't have time to look at it now. But he's, he's been forgiven a massive debt. That if he worked every day for the rest of his life, he couldn't pay it back. And here is somebody that if you went to a good restaurant, what he owed was what you'd give as a tip. The contrast couldn't be more severe, more exaggerated. But in both cases, they needed forgiveness. So the one who you see, and we're drawn into the emotion of this. Jesus says here a king who wants to settle his accounts and verse 24 he began to settle the man who brought who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him since he was unable to forgive his master he ordered him and his wife and his children to pay the debt verse 26 the servant fell on his knees before him and said be patient in me he begged look at the lack of realism of him be patient with me he begged and I will pay it back everything there was no way that he could do that. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled his debts, let him go free. And then, going out of the court, bumping into a friend of his, a colleague. Verse 28 But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a day's pay. If that. He grabbed him by the scruff and there. Began to choke him. Pay back what you me demanded. And his fellow servant did the same thing. He went on his knees. He prayed the same prayer. That was a realistic prayer. I can pay you back that amount. It's not a great amount. Take me time. That's all I need. But what does he do? Throws him into jail and so on. Now You see what Jesus is doing. He's drawing us into this emotional cauldron. and Saying, what are we going to do here? And then, if it doesn't seem... So simple that this is a heart religion. It's about the heart. What can we say then about this parable very quickly? Just the three stages. Look first, he was a debtor. We see that in verses 23 to 27. And his case was utterly hopeless. Yet he's living in denial. They do say sometimes about people who are in debt that they actually live in denial, that they go on living beyond and beyond and beyond their means. It's almost like a disease, like driven. Yes, it'll be okay, some, something will happen. And we're a society that has massive personal debt and national debt. He's a debtor, living in denial, lacking in realism, not facing himself, not willing to repent. The second uh, thing is that this he was a creditor. A mere, meager creditor. You see verse 28 to 30. Here is an insignificant amount. In contrast to the massive debt. And instead of sharing his joy. I mean he of all people. Come on. He's been forgiven so much. So much. That he's unwilling to give. So, so little. What's that about? And instead of sharing his joy. You have a sense of Ruthlessness gracelessness and the absence of mercy. Just a quote to you from, from this, uh, this commentary which is, which is interesting. Just listen to this. The forgiven servant is motivated by power over his debtor and he made a fatal mistake and sometimes people do this in church. Fatal mistake is that he had not understood the ground rules of the kingdom. For his actions deny everything Jesus has been teaching in this chapter. The kingdom of heaven is not about power, but about love. It's not about law, but grace. Not about merit, but mercy. Not about getting, but about giving. It is not about status, but about being a little child, forgiving from the heart, because we too have been forgiven from the heart. Well, that's a very way, of, a very concise way of putting it. He was a creditor, and thirdly, and finally, he was a prisoner. He could have gone out with a life transformed and liberated, instead of that crushing weight upon him. But he becomes a prisoner. So in verses 31 to 34. Note the irony. The twist here. It's as if Jesus says. Okay. You want to live by justice. Justice you will have. Would you really want justice? How would you appeal to God? On the grounds of justice? On your track record? Or would you say, mercy? Mercy. If you want to live by justice, justice you will have. What is it? Verse 33. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured, to be tormented by his missed opportunity. Until he should pay back all he owed. Which he never could do. That's a very sobering thing really. He became. A prisoner. Of his own doing. In a sense I say again. Christianity is. Forgiveness. At its highest level. That's the essence of it. At its highest level. Without forgiveness. Forgiveness. A relationship with Jesus is impossible. And our relationship with others, in our homes, church, neighbours, community and society, is massively impaired, often fractured beyond measure. God is the consummate forgiver. And he goes on forgiving us. We're going to sing a hymn that takes up this theme. Uh, we don't sing this hymn often enough, I guess. Which, a hymn that's come out of the cauldron of, of suffering and persecution in Rwanda. A very courageous uh, believer who, who uses this hymn as a testimony of God's goodness and God's grace. So he says... Oh, how the grace of God amazes me, loosed me from my bonds and set me free. What made it happen so? His own will, this much I know, set me, as now I show, at liberty, free. And so he says, not for my righteousness, for I have none but for his mercy's sake, Jesus, God's Son, suffered on Calvary's tree, crucified with thieves was he. Great was his grace to me, his wayward one, and so on. It's a testimony in Him. hymn. I hope that it will resonate and echo in your heart as you are a forgiven Christian.